Well, you know what it's like when everyone gets a joke except for you. And quickly you realise it's not funny to you because it's an inside joke. The people who laugh have got some special information that others don't know about. Or maybe they used some special words that are only understood by a limited group of people. Which means that if you're not in the in group, then you don't know why they're laughing. And what's more, if you are in the in group, then it can even seem funnier to you than it otherwise would be because the humour can unite those who are together in the know. There's another time when you will feel in and out, included or excluded, and that is when technical words are used. Now, they're often used for clarity and accuracy and even simplicity. Uh, If you've ever gone to get an X-ray or a scan or something like that and you thought, oh, I'll I'll open up the letter that's given to my GP that explains what the test results were, and you read it and you think... It's English, but not as we know it. All those words and all those expressions. Uh, I experienced this myself when I uh, first joined the uh, Rural Fire Service. I heard them talking about you know, responding in the Cat 1 to an MVA with two BAs and rolling out one line, two lengths of 30 acres suppression. I'm thinking, <laughs> really? Um, and then, over a while, I learned what these sort of shorthand words and different numbers and things meant. And I realised that you could say in 20 words what otherwise would take you 60 words to say. But if you don't know what a CAT1 is or an MVA or a BA or a 38 is or whatever, you, you might feel like you're on the outer. Now when we come to church, we do our best to avoid using technical words where we can. But sometimes... We think it's important to use some of those technical words and we'll use them because it's just difficult to not use a word that has so much meaning and strength to it, that is a container for so much thought. And what we'll inevitably do is we'll try and explain it and say this is what that nerd word really means. For example, the word parable. It's a word that's not often used outside the Bible. You don't turn up to school and say, oh, yeah, well, we were learning about this you know, thing in class and that, yeah, the teacher taught using parables. Really? What's, what is a parable? In fact, it's one of those words that it's hard to get a neat little equivalent word in the English to. So much so that the version of the Bibles that we use during church, the New Living Translation, it often will take some of those technical words and will simplify them for ease but they haven't chosen to do that when it comes to the word parable. You see, they've said that this is a word that you kind of got to get your head around. But what is even sort of more meta, today from Matthew 13, we see that not only is a parable word, parable a word that can exclude others, that we can actually see that the actual parables that Jesus taught themselves were designed to exclude others. Jesus spoke in parables in order to exclude others. Parables were like in-jokes. But why would Jesus do it that way? Why would he use parables if he knew that using them would exclude others from knowing the truth? 
I hope you find that just a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> That's pretty natural. But today, I think we're going to see if we can find out an answer that I think will make sense of this. We're going to look today at a bunch of well-known parables from Jesus. There's the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl, and the parable of the fishing net. They are some of Jesus' best-known parables, and they're all stuck here together in Matthew chapter 13 that we're looking at today. As we have a look at them today, we will see that they were designed for insiders, not outsiders. They're ultimately a tool of exclusion, not inclusion. You find that a bit weird? Yeah. You've got to think, why would Jesus want to exclude anyone from coming to him? Why would he want to exclude anyone today from coming to him? Well, part of the answer is the word today. You see, Jesus didn't tell this parable today. He didn't tell this parable to us. He didn't even tell this parable effectively about us. It's a, it's a parable that Jesus told his disciples about the last days of Israel. It's a piece of history. It's a speech from the past about a people of the past in a situation of the past. Now that doesn't mean it's not relevant to us today. In fact, we will see in a little while that we are the insiders today, all of us. And so it does apply to us. But whatever meaning we get from this today, it needs to first be understood in terms of looking at it, what it was said 2,000 years ago to the disciples about the last days of Israel. I don't know if that's naturally the way that you would look at these parables, that when you've seen the parable of the sower, it's firstly about Israel in the first century, not about us. I don't know if you thought about it that way. But as you understand the parables, all of them today, in this way, it will actually help us understand why it is that Jesus spoke in such a way to exclude, not to include. And it starts with chapter 13, verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there. And he taught as the people stood on the shore. See what happened there? Jesus sat down and everybody else stood up. Have a look around the room now. What do you see? I'm standing up. You're sitting down. It was opposite back then. That's the way that you would stand around. You'd stand around and listen to the person who was speaking from the seat. Anyway, that's what Jesus was doing. And very quickly, it turned into a large crowd. And so Jesus sat in a boat and he taught the people. And we read in verse 3a that he told many stories in the form of parables, just as this one. Parables are stories that teach a special truth. Stories that speak and teach a special truth. It's been really interesting to track over history the way that different Christians have tried to work out the parables. Some of them have gone through bit by bit by bit by bit and tried to work out a spiritual meaning for every single little aspect of every single bit. 
And usually it ends up just being like a mirror. All they're doing is just looking at what they've invented. But the way to understand parables is to see them in their context in the first century, but also to see that they basically had one main meaning. So with that in mind, let's have a look at this, probably what is the most famous of all parables. Matthew chapter 13, verse 3b. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. You know this one? As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60 and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And that was it. As we'll see in a moment, Jesus didn't tell the crowds what the parable meant. All they heard was this interesting story about a farmer who had different success in scattering seeds depending on where the seeds landed. Good soil, good crop. Hard, shallow, weed-filled soil, bad crop. And that's it. The crowd isn't given the key to unlock the story. And so, verse 10, we read that his disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? The disciples want to know why he's using these parables. Because obviously the people are more confused than when they started. They're thinking, hang on, Jesus is a teacher. They are the students. He's teaching. They're not getting it. And he's saying, that's it. And they're saying, Jesus, why are you using these parables? Jesus replied, verse 11, You are permitted, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, you disciples but others are not. Jesus tells the disciples that you guys, the special 12 and a few others, you are permitted to understand these secrets, but not others. Jesus is not using these parables to try and bring people into the kingdom of heaven. They're not evangelistic. Parables are not for outsiders. The message of the parables is only for insiders. As Jesus continues to share, verse 12, he says, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Just in case you might have missed what Jesus says, he says it even clearer. He says basically, the parables are designed to confuse, not to clarify. They're, they're there to darken, not enlighten. But not for all. That is the case for the outsiders. Because the insiders are going to get taught more and more, and they're going to learn more and more as they hear more and more parables. 
The parables were there to teach those who were already in the kingdom. But to those outside the kingdom, it's actually going to push them away. Have a look at what Jesus said, verse 13. He says, That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. So what Jesus is saying is that he'll say stuff to them, but they'll be blinded. They'll hear what Jesus says, but they'll be confused. Now, we kind of could have got away with it if we just heard the earlier bit of Jesus. But he basically says it two or three times in case we missed the point. He's saying, you've got to understand, I'm telling these parables so that people will be confused. So they won't understand the kingdom of heaven. Do you find that a bit weird? I think we naturally would, wouldn't we? Why would Jesus deliberately want to have people misunderstand the kingdom of heaven? Why would he deliberately want them not to understand the truth about the kingdom? Is it because he doesn't want his disciples to make disciples of all nations? Well, that's not the case. Well, it isn't once you get to Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. But we're not there yet, are we? We're in Matthew 13. Between 13 and 28, we've still got a bit further to go. And that is our first clue. Because Jesus is telling this before his death and his resurrection. It's before he commissioned his disciples to go and make disciples. We are still in the time of the old covenant when Jesus is doing this. You know what happens when he has the Lord's Supper? He says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Which is going to happen tomorrow. It hasn't happened weeks or months or a year or two before when he's doing the parables of the kingdom. It's about the timing. At this stage, Jesus' focus is on Israel. Not the nations, not us. Jesus' parables are told to Old Testament Israel. And the reason is because Jesus' mission was to finish off God's work amongst the Old Testament people. And the work of Jesus was to finish hardening the hearts of rebellious Israel. His job was to harden the last of the rebels And he did that so he could redeem the world. And that's why he then says this, verses 14 and 15. He says, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Jesus again quotes from Isaiah. There's a whole lot of Isaiah that we're going to get as we go through Matthew. Have you noticed that? It's a very, very part, a famous part of Isaiah from right at the start, chapter 6. Isaiah is brought into the very throne room of God. And after his guilt is taken away by the lips having the hot coal from the altar popped on them, the Lord says this. 
Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah says, I'll be the messenger who will do the special work of the Lord in these final days of Israel. And so the Lord says to him, and I'm quoting directly from Isaiah here, he says, Go, Isaiah, and say to this people, Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears, shut their eyes, and that way they won't see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their hearts. And then turn to me for healing. And that's the bit that Jesus quoted before. See, Isaiah's job was to harden the hearts of God's people. Can you see that? It's weird. But that was his job. And it's exactly what Jesus is doing as well. But it wasn't going to happen forever. Isaiah said, All right, so you're telling me I'm going to be the prophet who goes around and confuses everybody. Right. I might accidentally do that, but you're telling me to deliberately do that? How long do I have to do that for? Well, verse 11, the Lord said, verse 12, until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant survive, it'll be invaded again and burnt. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it's cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. This is good news. Because the Lord says to Isaiah, you've got to go around there and harden all these hearts, but not forever. There's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a bunch of people who will stay on track. And more than that, amongst them will be a holy seed. There'll be someone in whom there can be hope for Israel. And this is where Jesus fits in. This is where Jesus' parables fit in. Jesus is finishing the job of Isaiah. He's finishing the job of hardening Israel's hearts. But the Lord will choose some of Israel to know him. That's what Jesus said a few chapters before. Remember this back in chapter 11? I think it makes even more sense now we've seen this bit. He said, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father and no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. You might have read that before and thought, yeah, 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 ah, yeah, blah, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But here we see it. Jesus is only revealing the father to those he chooses to do so. And right now, that's only a few of them. It's the 12 disciples and a few other chosen ones. And they are very special. Jesus puts it this way. He says, But blessed are your eyes, disciples, because they see. And your ears, disciples, because they hear. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people of the Old Testament longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. These disciples of Jesus, 
in many ways are more blessed and more special and more privileged than pretty much all the prophets and righteous people of the Old Testament times. Because they actually get to know the truth of the kingdom. The disciples get to know the truth of the kingdom. They are the insiders. They are the family of Jesus. Remember that was what the last chapter ended up talking about. They are the ones who do the will of their heavenly father. And so the parables don't harden their hearts. The parables actually give them more wonderful insights into the kingdom of God. But only in private. Only as insiders. Only as the in crowd. And so Jesus teaches his special disciples. Verse 18. He says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed is the word of God and the evil one, Satan, the devil, has snatched it away from those, or at least some of those, who heard it. And then Jesus says, verse 20, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Uh, the rocky soil represents people who hear the word of God. Oh, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. But then they fall away because, well... Problems come up. Or people give them a hard time for following Jesus and obeying the word. But then next Jesus says, verse 22, The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. These are the guys who hear the word of God, but it all gets choked out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth. What's worrying you at the moment? Can you see how that could, if you're not careful, start to actually stop you listening to the word of God? And, and wealth, well, if you could just have a bit more, then, well, you'd be a bit more able to deal with the troubles of life and so you just get a bit more wealth and spend a bit more time focusing on that and things will get sorted, right? Then verse 23 Jesus says The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60 or even a 100 times as much as had been planted. The good soil hears the word of God understands it and then is part of the harvest of the kingdom of God and a part of those who grow the harvest. The people at the lake who heard this would have been going, yeah, 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 soil, weeds. Yeah. That's a nice story, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lovely story. What's it about? Uh, not really sure. No, me either. But the disciples now know. And so do you. And so do I. We are actually now amongst those insiders as well. 
After this happens, we see here that the disciples are given the hidden meaning. And we see the need in this for every person to receive the word of God properly. We need to receive the word of God properly. It's not about letting tough times distract you. Like when you're teased or persecuted or hated or rejected because of Jesus. Don't give up. And what those disciples are told, and we as insiders now are also told, that it's we mustn't let the things of this world, the good and the bad, get in the way. Whether it's drifting away because of friends, or family, or finances, or career. Loving the world God made is a problem when we love it more than the word God spoke. The disciples were told that the most important thing in life was to enthusiastically receive the word of God. And that message that Jesus taught his closest disciples is now told to us. We are now amongst the insiders. You see that? 2,000 years later, we we are actually privileged with them. We're, We're getting the clues. We're getting the secrets. But as we hear this, we mustn't let this warning just bounce off us. You know, have you heard this, heard this parable before? Yeah, 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 soils and this kind of stuff. Friends, don't let the highs and lows of life lead you from Jesus. This is the warning that was said there and it applies still to us today. And the reason is that judgment is coming. Verse 24, Jesus told another story. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy's done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do that. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds. I'll tie them in the bundles and then they'll burn them. But then they'll put the wheat in the barn. So what does the parable of the wheat and the weeds mean? Well, Jesus is going to tell us in a little while. But before he does, he goes on to another one. Here's another illustration Jesus used, verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. It's a little less cryptic, and I think that because of that, Jesus doesn't explain its meaning to those who are on the inside. But clearly Jesus is saying that his kingdom will start small, but it will grow huge. And then he gave another illustration, verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And these are not the last of the parables. 
Because we read verse 34 and 35, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I'll explain things hidden since the creation of the world. That is a quote from Psalm 78, verse 2. It tells us a bit more about why Jesus used parables. If you turn to the psalm, you couldn't help but see the number of times it talks about the rebellion of God's people. It says, they kept sinning, rebelled against him, tested God's patience, faithless, angered God. All of these, in the 70 verses that catalogue the rebelliousness of Israel, we see time and time and again their hard, hard hearts. But it ends with this. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skilful hands. It ends talking about David, the Messiah. And Jesus now takes that role. Jesus brings the Messiah's care to Israel. Well, then Jesus explains the story of the weeds. He says this to his disciples, verse 37. He said, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burnt in the fire... So it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I don't think that really needs much explanation from me, explaining Jesus' explanation. But note what gentle Jesus, meek and mild, says about judgment. Did you see that? Fiery furnace. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You'd be deaf and blind if you didn't get the seriousness of judgment day. Jesus is making judgment day very clear to his disciples. And now we, through them, after Jesus' death and resurrection, can hear this message in our Bibles and we get this important warning, a warning that tells us not to reject the king and miss out on his kingdom. But it's also a word about the joy that comes from finding out how to get into the kingdom of heaven. Which is why Jesus told these parables to his disciples, those on the inside. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. What's this? Whoa. And in his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. In other words, he's saying, listen, when you understand the kingdom of heaven, you'll do anything to make sure you're in it. And then he says, verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, 
He sold everything he owned and bought it. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples on the inside. He's saying, listen, you've got to do everything. You've got to give everything away to make sure you are on the kingdom. Do everything to be in the kingdom of heaven. Everything. But then Jesus slips back to judgment again. He says in verse 47 to 50, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, they sat down, they sorted the good fish into crates, but they threw the bad ones away. This is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus didn't shy away from judgment. Did you see that? On the one hand, he's saying, do everything you possibly can to get into the kingdom because it's so good. And on the other hand, he's saying, You've got to make sure that you are in the kingdom of heaven because you want to do everything you can to avoid hell. Both of those, he says, so clearly. And so he says to his disciples, do you get it? And they say, yes, we do. And then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as the old. He talks to the disciples as disciples and he says basically, you are now valuing the new revelation that is coming through the Messiah as you also value the old revelation that is pointing to the Messiah. And I think that's true for us as well. We value the old and the New Testaments, don't we? It's all Christian scripture. And that's why we keep bouncing back and forth. And with that, Jesus ends this little time of teaching. He says, verse 53, when Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown, and when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? He's back to where he came from in Nazareth. The people in the synagogue are amazed, but a whole bunch of them take offence. As we read verse 55, then they scoffed, Ah, he's just a carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mum, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And his sisters, they live here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown and amongst his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. And that's how the chapter ends. We now get a real life example of the very things that Jesus spoke of in his parables. Some receive him and say yes, and others say no. People are divided right there. Many at this time will reject him, especially those of the people of Israel. That's what this chapter was primarily about. Jesus came to finish the job off of Isaiah, to finish hardening hearts. He came and gave these parables, these in-jokes, 
that excluded them and annoyed them. But some, those that the Son chose to bring to the Father, they were given the insider perspective. And we today, after the cross, are amongst the disciples as well. We are the insiders. We have explained the joke. We are included. And therefore, the blessings that the disciples had, we have too. Sometimes we find it hard to understand how Jesus will give it to some and not to others. But we've got to remember that salvation is a gift that none of us deserves. And so if you share the passion to enter the kingdom of heaven, you can know that you have developed that hunger. You've developed that hunger for eternity because God has worked in you. And now and forever, you will enjoy the benefits of being in that in crowd. Let me pray.